Good morning, beloved. I saw all these people here. I thought, well, the word's out. I'm getting really popular. <laughs> then I saw the baby dedication. <laughs> Maybe not yet. <laughs> My name is Bill Smith. I'm one of the members of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. And today we're going to continue on our series on the big reveal, looking at the book of Mark. So before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Open our minds to understand and our hearts to be healed. And may you look past the sins of the speaker, because they are many. In Jesus' name we pray. So let's turn in our Bibles to Mark 5. And we're going to read 1 through 20. It starts... They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenas. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him, and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd... About 2,000 in number rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When I first looked at this passage that I accidentally volunteered for, (laughs) I thought, oh man, what am I going to say about this? I mean, I don't even really want to talk about the demons. Maybe I can come up with 10, 15 minutes Now I could probably do a four-week series on this one passage. There's so much here. It it just goes to show the advantage of and the benefit of digging into the Scriptures to see what's going on here. 
So this region, the Garasanas, or sometimes referred to as the Garadanas, these are actually two separate areas or cities, which being close together are used interchangeably, like, you know, Glen Burnie, Pasadena, somewhere up there. I travel a lot, and people often ask me where I'm from, especially when I'm overseas, and so I usually say uh, Washington, D.C. area. (laughs) Oh, okay, East Coast. Other people who are more familiar, I might say, well, in Maryland, around Annapolis. That gives them a general idea. But for people familiar with the area, I say I'm proud to be from Arnold. I know exactly where I'm from. The shoreline around Lake Galilee, or the Sea of Galilee, which is also referred to as the Sea of Kinnereth, or the Lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Tiberias, was sometimes simply called the Lake. Everybody knew what you're talking about because there's really just this one lake there, right? Which lake is it? The one we have. That's the one we have. (laughs) So around that lake, and Julie described this a few weeks ago, in many places there's a sheer drop going down to the water, so those who work the lake would be familiar with where they could uh, find port safely, and they could come ashore. This story is recorded in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Matthew indicates there were two men with unclean spirits who met him. And some people will use that kind of reference to point out the Bible is full of contradictions. However, So they say there was some conspiracy to write this story. However, the fact that there are slight differences in the story doesn't mean there's a contradiction, but a confirmation that this is a real story. Several people telling the same story, but from their perspective, covering what they thought was important. So there's no conspiracy here. Many scholars think that this other fellow was also healed of impure spirits and went on his way. But this guy here took a bit longer for some reason, which will eventually be revealed. So who is this man? I've never really given much thought about this guy. Anybody else besides probably Steve? (laughs) This is the guy, right? Who is he? Well, there's a lot of conjecture about who this person was. Who might he have been? And the reason is, why has the community put such an effort into trying to find a way to deal with him? Matthew doesn't tell us anything about this man and all the effort that the community has been putting into somehow keeping a part of the community. Luke gives us a bit more information that people took turns guarding him. And why were they binding him? Well, the first conclusion would be for their safety. And that may be true. Another reason that they kept guard and tried to subdue him was for his own safety. When not bound, what did he do to himself? He cut himself with rocks, which reminds me, health and safety announcement. I was just out getting some water in the cafe area and found at least three pieces of, small pieces of glass out there. So if you're, don't be crawling around on your hands and knees, especially the children, but you adults who I've seen some of you doing that. so. (laughs) So wait till we'll get that cleaned up. So, they were guarding him. Why bind him? Probably for his own safety. Because when he was not bound, what did he do? He cut himself. Then he tried, they tried to keep him safe in a house, but he would always escape. They had tried to keep him as part of their community for some reason. Many conjecture that the reason was, originally, this man 
may have been a man of influence, of success, perhaps of wealth. It was admired or feared. Now, you may have been thinking, well, he's off his rocker right now, but let's be careful, not take advantage of him as he might recover, and we want to stay in good stead with him. If he was a man of wealth, he would still own the possessions that he owned. Furthermore, he may have had several recoveries from time to time, so they would have held out hope for yet another recovery. One reason to support this, the idea is that Mark says no one could bind him anymore. Therefore, they must have been able to bind him up to keep him from hurting himself. So initially, he was able to be bound, but not anymore. There may have initially been fewer demons. In fact, perhaps just one. And that one got frustrated with the community because they kept him from harming this man. So that demon may have left and gone out and got a few more. Bonus points if you know how many more that that demon would have brought back. Because the answer is in Luke 11 and Matthew 12. Jesus was teaching. And he says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person... It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. How many demons did he have in him now? Two thousand. Or more. So, Jesus says the impure spirit goes through arid places and seeks rest. Jesus is telling us what's going on behind the scenes as part of the big reveal, what's going on in the heavenly realm. So, this man comes to Jesus when he gets out of the boat. Later in verse 6, we see he says, when, Jesus, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. This is kind of classic of what I was saying about Mark before. He doesn't follow a chronology. He kind of bounces around. This man did, didn't just come from the tombs to meet him, but he runs from a distance to bow in front of him. So the question I have is, why didn't he run away? Why didn't he just observe him from the tombs and hide? He runs towards him and falls on his knees. He's running towards his own enemy. And no one can subdue this man. At this point in his life, no one or no thing could bind him, not even big chains or shackles. No one could tell him what to do, including wearing clothes. He was afraid of no man, no matter how strong or powerful. He could always escape from anybody. Well, except from Jesus. We can't escape from Jesus. We also see that These unclean spirits did not wish to leave this region. Remember, most likely they had already looked for a place to rest. But came back to this man. But this time, it would be futile to fight. It would be futile to resist. It would be futile to hide. They know who he is, and so they immediately surrender. During Desert Storm, there were several accounts of some of Sodom's armies surrendering as soon as the American army showed up. In one instance, several hundred combatants surrendered to an Air Force A-10 as it circled above. It's never happened in history. They're like, we surrender. They knew the fight was over before it even started, just like these demons. 
And notice they already know his name. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? How do they know his name? Well, you know, there are no demons in hell debating the existence of God. (laughs) Their theology is orthodox. (laughs) They know who God is, and they know who the Son is. Word of his birth must must have spread through hell like wildfire. (laughs) Some of you got that. Okay, good. (laughs) So this man with unclean spirits come running to Jesus, gets on his knees, which is an act of worship, and then he prays. He's praying. He's begging. Also notice he's not asking to be healed like everybody else who presented themselves to Jesus. He's not asking for that. Instead, he or they, I get my references sort of mixed up, says, in God's name, don't torture me. The demons are saying that, in God's name. So why does the unclean spirit say, in God's name? Well, nothing happens in heaven or on earth without... God's permission. Remember in Job how Satan had to get God's permission to pick on Job. The sons of God appeared before God one day and Satan was with them asking for permission to go after Job. In Luke 22, we hear Jesus warning his disciples. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you like wheat. And Jesus reassures them that he has already prayed for them that their faith would not fail. See, anytime Satan makes a move on a person, he has to fill out a request form and submit it to God. Remember, Satan is only the prince of this world. He's not the king. Some requests are approved, and others are not. The requests that are approved are those that will achieve God's purpose. Satan doesn't even realize that he's an unwitting servant of God. We will read later in Mark 8.33, not to steal anybody's thunder, but uh, Jesus talks about his death and resurrection, and Peter rebukes him. And Jesus turns right around and rebukes Peter. And you remember what he said? Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter essentially told God his plan is not such a great approach. During the temptation of Christ, Satan tries to get Jesus to worship him. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan. Here again, Satan tries to divert Jesus from his father's plan by making a suggestion. Satan cannot possess Jesus and direct his actions. He can only make suggestions with temptations like he does with us. So back to the man from the tombs. He says, in God's name, don't torture me. Now, what have these, these demons been doing for this, to this man for how long? They've been torturing him. Don't torture us. We can torture people. Don't torture us. It's quite typical of evil. It doesn't want to receive the same treatment it has doled out. He wants to act without consequences. He wants to distract. On my recent flight from Orange County, California to Phoenix on my way home this past week, the people in front of me never put their seat, seats back up on approach. And we even landed and their seats were still all the way back. And we got to the gate and their seats were, seats were still back. Making it rather difficult for me to get up out of my window seat. I got quite focused 
on how inconsiderate they were being. How I might interact with them, mulling things over about what I might say. Man, I felt so righteous. So righteous and superior, in fact, I said nothing. That'll show them. I just suffered in silence as I struggled to squeeze out of my first class seat. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not pretty, I'm sure. But I was the better man, that's for sure. My thoughts were not for the concerns of God. They were for human concerns. And I exited the plane feeling rather smug and righteous. And my next flight was over at the next terminal. So we landed in Terminal B at the very farthest end. And my next flight was at Terminal A at the farthest end you can get. So I had like 17 miles I had to walk to get there. And just as I was within eyesight of my terminal, I started to think about working on this sermon that I would give today as on this next four-hour part of the flight. And that's when I realized I left my iPad in the seat back of the previous flight. <laughs> it's only about a thousand bucks, no big deal. <laughs> then I hear my name over the intercom. <laughs> William Smith, please return to gate 13B <laughs> to retrieve my property. <laughs> wow. See how easily we can be distracted sometimes. <laughs> Even me. <laughs> Forgive me. So the unclean spirit tries to negotiate with Jesus. He knows that's the best that he can do. He asks for permission. And then there's another big reveal. Jesus asks him, what is your name? I find that interesting. The demon knew the name of Jesus, but Jesus asks him for his name. I don't think that's because Jesus didn't know his name. I think it's rather Jesus is a revealer. He gets this unclean spirit to reveal the truth. There are many of them, not just one, which is why there was the struggle initially. So why are there many? I think you know what I'm going to say. Jesus explained that in Matthew and Luke. They kept leaving and returning with more. So this spokesperson, Legion, begs and begs and begs. Now, typically in a negotiation, you offer something for something in return, but they don't offer anything in return. They just ask for permission to stay in that region, to go into the swine who are feeding on the nearby hillside. And Jesus gives permission. In Matthew and Luke, uh, they record Jesus just saying one word, go. And the pigs run down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I think the joke was on them. Remember, Jesus talked about the unclean spirits roaming the countryside in the arid places, and they end up in the water. So why did Jesus come to this particular location? It doesn't really say. We know Jesus always went to preach to the Jews. It's not that he didn't preach to the Gentiles, but that would have been by happenstance. He always went to the Jews first. When he sends his disciples out in Matthew 10, he gives them instructions. He tells them, do not go among the Gentiles. Or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. Some theologians suggest that this area was occupied only by Gentiles. They do that because of these pigs. Jews wouldn't be around pigs. That's what they say. However, for me, this suggests that there was no real plan, but rather a coincidence that ended up, they ended up mostly in a Gentile area. And this whole story is just an unusual anecdote about 
the amazing things that happen when Jesus is around as he bumbles around the countryside. I have a problem with that. <laughs> I don't think that's the case. Others think there was a mix of Jews and Gentiles living in this area. They have more evidence to support that. The fact that there were pigs being raised raises questions. Were these Jews living in and among the Gentiles? Did they perhaps see the value and profit in the swine business? Were they themselves raising swine and profiting from this business, seeing how much the Gentiles like pork? Were the lost sheep of Israel literally bringing home the bacon? Is that why Jesus went there? I'm starting to go out on some theological limbs here, I know. I'm I'm watching the other teachers not pass out or something. but But I will say this. Jesus seems to come into the parts of our lives that still need cleansing and healing. And why was this possessed man familiar with these pigs? Now I'm really going to get out there. Were these pigs just a coincidence? We have a bumbling Jesus and coincidentally there's some pigs here. Is that what's going on? Or could it be this demon-possessed man? Now put on your seatbelts here. Could it be this demon-possessed man was also the owner of these pigs? Was he the influential one who got the Jews into the pig business? Did the first demon help him build his wealth? Was he teaching him how to make a buck by dealing with unclean things? See, Satan starts out as a mentor but eventually turns into a tormentor. So here's my crazy thinking. When the demons left this man, he saw all of his wealth plunge into the lake. I think it was their final torment to destroy his property. He had nothing left except his freedom. And he was eager now to give his freedom back to Jesus. The entire town comes out. And again, I think so many came, as Matthew and Luke say, the entire town comes out. Mark doesn't say that. Because of the influence this man initially had with him. According to Matthew, there were two demon men. Jesus healed one, he went off. The second man was a different story. And I think verse 15 is very curious. They saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of whom? It doesn't really say. All we know is they were afraid when they saw the man in his right mind. Again, I'm out on the limb here, but I think they were afraid of him. He may have been someone to deal with before he became demon-possessed. It wasn't until they heard about the pigs they started begging Jesus to leave. See, the whole herd ran into the lake and the whole town came out to see what had happened. So instead of rejoicing at the miracle, they begged Jesus to leave. Well, if they, if they weren't raising pigs that were real righteous Jews, why would they ask this righteous man to leave? They didn't rejoice at this miracle. Jesus had ruined this man's business or someone's business And he might ruin the rest of us. We'd rather keep what we have going for us. You see, they were also possessed by their possessions. They were not interested in being free. They didn't even know they were enslaved. But Jesus has sent them a message. 
The cleansed man begs Jesus to let him go with him, and Jesus does not give him permission. He tells him to go home to his own people and to tell them how much the Lord has done for him. Everyone else that Jesus healed, after he heals them, what does he tell them? Go and don't tell anybody. What's he tell this guy? Go and tell everybody. Interesting thing that's going on here. I think the subtext here is this. This man had been a man of influence in worldly things. And now he's going to be a man of influence in godly things. There's a lot of praying in this story in the form of begging. The demons beg Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And Jesus answers their prayer and says go. And they went. The townspeople beg Jesus to go, and he answers their prayer and leaves. I don't think he had any intention to stay there to begin with. What was he there, a day? That was just like a layover for him. The cleansed man begs Jesus to let him go with him, and Jesus says, no, you go and tell. In each case, we see the same thing. The concerns of God are being accomplished. The demons had served their purpose and they were dismissed. Jesus had accomplished his purpose of getting the attention of the townspeople and allowed himself to be dismissed. The cleansed man was dismissed to go be a witness. He would now be continuing to accomplish God's purpose of proclaiming God is merciful. In other words, if you repent of what you're doing, of dealing around and with unclean things, of depending on yourself, God is ready to forgive you. Jesus gives this man freedom, and then he gives him a purpose, just as he has done for you. You don't think for a moment Jesus was being mean or insensitive. He's saying to this man, don't think for a moment that all the suffering you've gone through has been for no reason. You have been and are being prepared for a purpose, for God's purpose. There is hope. See, the demons can't be anywhere near Jesus. They can't dwell with him. They fall at his feet and begin begging not to be tormented. If you have Jesus in your life, the Bible says he dwells in you. Not around you, not above you, not near you, but in you. If you're in Jesus, you are possessed by a clean spirit. Amen? Praise God. As we read in Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make them known, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The most Satan can do now is to attempt to distract you from the joy, the peace, the power, the sound mind, and the love which God has already given to you. Satan is still filling out request forms on you. He submits them to God who in turn gives them to Jesus for final approval. I call this the heavenly bureaucracy. If any request does get approved related to you, please know that it will serve God's purpose in you, perfecting your faith. You will not be destroyed. James tells us that, doesn't he? To consider it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations, knowing it is for the perfecting of your faith. You see, when Jesus allows Satan to sift you in any way, 
Jesus has also already prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you get through it, and you will, he gives you permission to strengthen others. He gives you a purpose. So as we did two weeks ago, I would like to help us apply this word into our hearts by repeating phrases that I'll say to you. So I'll say the phrase, and you repeat it back. Will that be okay with everybody? Remember who you're talking to, yourself. So we're ready to go? Repeat after me. I am in Jesus. Jesus is in me. Satan cannot dwell in me. In Christ, I am more powerful than Satan. I can discern Satan's attempts to distract me, to deceive me, to defeat me, or to destroy me. I choose to see anything that happens to me as God's way of helping me to be more like Jesus. I have freedom, and I have a purpose. I already have victory in Jesus. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we praise you. We praise you because you're worthy of praise. You're worthy of honor and glory. You have all power. Your kingdom cannot be defeated, and it has come within us. And we are beyond grateful. Remind us every day of the power, of the love, the sound mind that we have, like you gave to that man who was possessed by a legion of demons. We have been set free in you. Allow us opportunities to share that grace, that gospel with those around us. As you give us opportunity, we will respond. And now, I dismiss the congregation of your beloved, praying for them that their faith would continue to grow and continue to stand, even in the face of what seems like insurmountable odds. You are there in them, strengthening them. So let us go in peace and power and purpose. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.